in this podcast, I misspeak and say that Sri Lankan middle schoolers get the highest math scores in the world. But who knows? They may be a bunch of dummies. I don't know. But it's Singapore middle school kids who get the highest math scores in the world. So that and probably a bunch of other false information coming up on the Anti-Woke Podcast. Slate Money has a segment about how airlines are trying to make first-class flying fancier. And so one thing that has happened is Singapore Airlines, which is a fancy airline, they've created a pressurized cabin thing that's on the ground so that they can have people taste test their food. Because apparently when you're in a pressurized cabin on an airplane, um, one-third of your taste buds don't work. And it wasn't exactly clear to me, but I think like sweet stuff, you can't taste sweet stuff as much, but then salty stuff is good. Like one of the fancy airlines is giving um, all-you-can-eat caviar in first class. And I've had fancy caviar once. It didn't taste good, but what it really tasted like was salt. I mean, I had it when I was a kid. Who knows? I probably like it now, but either way, it's incredibly salty. And they're saying like, you know, like how much do you drink tomato juice or V8 in your real life? The answer is probably not much or, you know, maybe if you have a Bloody Mary. But that's one of the most popular beverages when they're bringing the little carts around asking you what you want to drink. And apparently that's because umami, you know, umami is the, that's the fifth flavor or whatever that, that white people didn't even know about until recently. And that's why it has the name umami, which is a Japanese word. And basically it means savory, or at least that's the closest word we have in the English for it. I mean, what it means is umami. It's an English word now. But anyways, umami stuff is what tastes good when you're in a pressurized cabin. And so tomato juice has a lot of umami, for instance. So then they're talking about first class. Um, you got first class, that's the top. Then you got business class, that's second. And then you got coach. And I think some some airlines are trying to do a in-between coach and business class thing but like what's the difference between business class and first class the answer is generally not much difference it's the same seats i mean there may be you know maybe you get better food like that's the idea how are we going to get people to pay even more than business class for first class well how about some better food and i don't know much about this stuff i never had a job it was flying me around in business class or something um when i was a kid i did fly first class one time like this is the 80s when if you were a kid, they'd let you like go into the cockpit and talk to the pilot. Like I've done that. And then me and my cousin, female, my same age as me, um, whatever, the stewardesses came back and we're like, oh, we got some extra spots in first class. Would you like to sit up there? Because we were kids, I'm, you know, probably 13 years old. And so me and my cousin went up and sat in first class and then <laughs> my mom was flying with us. She had to stay back and coach. And I believe she has never flown first class in her life. And I guess first class, or maybe business class, also comes with a lounge. I mean, I think they closed a lot of these things for COVID, but there's some sort of special waiting area. You don't have to wait in the, you know, peon coach normal area where you're looking at a thing and waiting for people to call you out. There's some sort of lounge where I think, you know, maybe you get free champagne. Okay, they were saying a lot of this is for international flights. So this is like United Arab Emirates. So all that's international. Singapore Airlines, all that's international. Those are like teeny little countries that have giant famous airlines. And it's because they just fly between all the countries. And those are long flights. And then it matters, you know, if you got a bed that can lay down or something. Or a chair that can turn into a bed. 
And so almost all the flights I've ever been on are just domestic within America. And domestic airlines do not try and get fancy. They're just, the, the flights are not long enough. It's not that big, enough, big a deal. But I guess now the lounges are getting crowded. So you might have to wait in line to get into the lounge. And then as soon as you get in, you have to go get your flight. It's just, I don't know, a lot of stuff like, an, a lot of flying stuff, you know, it gets worse and worse. And apparently business class, at least, is getting worse and worse. They're trying to make maybe first class better again. And the guy was saying, this is because of the pandemic. Like, you know, airlines, almost you know, all the people on air, airline or, or flight fly coach. But all the money comes from the extra money paid by the people up in business and first class. Like, a lot of times businesses have to fly someone, you know, with, with no advance notice or something. You know, maybe a week. Okay, you know, on Monday you're flying here. And I don't know if you've ever bought, like, airline tickets online, but it's like... You know, if you can pick out the certain thing a month in advance or three months in advance, you can save a lot of money. But if you're trying to do it a day or a week in advance, it costs a lot more. And that's just, and businesses just pay it. You know, if you're making money, if, the, if, if paying for someone's flight is going to make you money because you're a business somehow, then obviously you just pay for it. But because of COVID, some people, you know, if you got an extra $3,000, Maybe you'll spend it on an upgrade. You know, you wanted to get farther away from other people because of COVID. And now, some of the business and first-class tickets, or a larger percentage of those stuff, are just being paid by people who can afford it. So now you got more of these peons who want to go to the lounge. you got rich peons. I mean, if you're a business-class traveler who's flying all the time, you don't show up two hours early and hang out in the lounge. You know, you want to get there at the last possible second and, you know, have the least amount of your time wasted. All right, but this makes me want to talk about Singapore and umami. So, Sri Lanka is an island country it's just off the, just off of India, like to the bottom right of India. And the people there, they're basically like Indian-looking type of people genetically. And I think it was a former British colony, which is, you know, gives you an enormous leg up as a country. And they were doing pretty good. I think maybe up until, I don't know, they've had an economic crisis. I'm not sure when it started. I'm just going to say one to four years ago. And so before that crisis, I don't know, like I listened to a, I listened to a show talking about it and they just, they just used a person as an example, a woman. And so like this woman, you know, she, she grew up in Sri Lanka as a kid, who knows, probably in the seventies or eighties or something. And, you know, like her her mom like cooked their food on a campfire or I don't know roasted marshmallows over burning tires anyways life was hard life was hard in Sri Lanka when she was a kid but then more recently right before this crash happened like she had a husband who had some sort of job I don't know construction maybe and then I think she ran she owned her own like nail salon and they were doing good and they had a house and they had indoor plumbing and an indoor stove I mean you know they're just living you know, what would be considered normal? You know, what is, yeah, what the poorest American, except for the homeless, get. And I think she was sending her kids to some sort of private school. I mean, nothing like American private schools, but anyways, school. They are going to school, you know, probably thinking about college, stuff like that. And basically, Sri Lanka was doing a lot better than India, which I think would be the closest thing to compare them to. You know, they're right over, you know, Bangladesh is not too far away. They're doing way better than them. They're doing better than all those... Kind of, what, the South Asian, the South Asian countries. But then they've had an economic crisis, and, you know, she's, like, back to cooking her food over a campfire. 
I wish I knew more about it. I think I think they call it open flame cooking, but like that's one of the criteria for how poor a person is. Like if they have to cook over an open flame or whatever you call it, then that is just an indicator of serious poverty. Like Africa, the, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa has a ton of countries where people do a whole bunch of open flame cooking. And so Sri Lanka, they overthrew their government and they got a new government in just recently and we'll see how that goes. But that story was because I think the new government is like, we want to make Sri Lanka like Singapore. And I've heard this before, like everyone wants to be like Singapore. So Singapore is a country, but it's also a city. I mean, it's, it's so small that the city and the country are basically the same thing. And they're rich. And famously, like... They get the the high their their uh, students get the highest math scores you know grade whatever middle school middle school Sri Lankan students get the highest math scores in the world for instance and I can't remember who but at least a couple times other countries I've heard are like yeah we want to be the new Singapore so you know every every country is like yeah we want to be the new Singapore I guess to Americans maybe the most famous thing that Singapore is is that um, if you put gum on the sidewalk. They might cane you. Like, you know, the, the way that they deal with crime is caning. Someone hits you with a piece of bamboo. And I don't know if it's true that really just throwing a piece of gum on the sidewalk will get you caned. But that's that's the famous meme about Singapore. You know, plus it's just a, you know, it's like Manhattan or whatever. It's it's rich. Skyscrapers, etc. I think maybe Rwanda wants to be the new Singapore is one of them. I don't know. I forget. And so Singapore is in, I think it's in the South Pacific. So, you know, kind of how the countries go over there, you got China at the top, and then there's kind of a thing that sticks down in Vietnam, you know, Vietnam War, that's below China. And I think Myanmar slash Burma is mixed in there, uh, and then it heads into a whole bunch of islands. And I think you got, like, Indonesia, the Philippines, there's a whole bunch of them. That's right, Malaysia's the other big one. I mean, some of these countries have 100 million people I think Indonesia is, I don't know what, the fourth most populous country in the world. I mean, you know, you got China, you got India, then you got all this stuff from Vietnam on down. There's so many freaking people in that part of the world. That's where the most people are by far. And I think Singapore is just like a little chunk out of the rest of this some giant island that's Malaysia. Or I mean, Malaysia has probably 100 islands, but you get the idea. The idea is there's a whole bunch of countries there. and You'd have to look at a map. I can't describe it. I'm just going to talk about whatever the hell I want. So this makes me think of, so after the after World War II, a bunch of GIs, they were stationed in the South Pacific, and then they came home. And then America had this fetishization of South Pacific people. Like, I mean, I, I remember when I was in the early 80s, when I was a little kid, I remember going to a restaurant that still had like kind of a tiki hut motif. And I think, you know, in the 50s and the 60s, there's a lot of bamboo and like little um those like paper umbrellas you stick in your drink there's a bunch of movies anyways america really got into the idea of south pacific stuff and i think the philippines became a protective protectorate of america so it's almost like we have a we almost like we had a state that was a bunch of south pacific people and you know let's get a little politically incorrect here but for whatever reason the women from the south pacific you know the what this is pacific islanders Anyways, they're hot, you know, just like thinking, you know, like Hulu dancing, but also, you know, Hawaii's kind of similar type of people. And then especially the, just the South Pacific, just the women were hot and, you know, National Geographic would be doing 
articles on the South Pacific countries all the time, showing lots of hot women. And so I, hopefully, hopefully that rings a bell. If you're old enough, it will ring a bell. But the reason why I say that is because, so Singapore is in the area where you think it would be a bunch of South Pacific hotties, but that's not who lives in Singapore. But what Singapore is full of is Chinese people. I don't know the history, but there probably was a bunch of South Pacific hotties in little hula skirts or something, you know, going on their little catamaran canoes fishing. And then the Chinese probably came in and killed them all, kind of like, you know, the whites killed the Indians. All right, I don't know if that's true, so let's go back to the facts. When I think of Singapore, I think of two other cities in the same area, which is Hong Kong and Macau. And so Hong Kong is a city full of Chinese people that was ruled by the British up until, I think, 1999. And Macau is a city full of Chinese people. I think they were under Portuguese rule. You know, and Hong Kong and Macau are just islands unto them, island slash cities unto themselves. And Singapore is on an island with, you know, probably some poor Malaysian people outside of Singapore. But it, they're, they're, very, they're all very similar. And so what's my point? Like, I don't know if... I, anyway, here, here, here's my point. Is that the richest cities in the world are cities that are full of Chinese people, you know, genetically but were ruled by Europe. So they got, you know, you got the European laws and the European flavors, and then the Chinese genetic population. And so, you know, Sri Lanka or Rwanda or whatever, all these all these countries want to be the new Sri Lanka, or sorry, the new Singapore. And I watch it with interest because I want to see if the critical factor is all the people in your city slash country are of Chinese descent. Like, I think if Sri Lanka became, you know, if Sri Lanka was the new Singapore, um, I think that would be the first time that one of these country, one of these cities could do it without being, you know, majority Chinese. Like, basically, we can see that Chinese people can do it. Can any other type of person do it? All right, and then how about the taste umami? So until recently, like America, white people, scientists, whatever, I think they had four flavors, which was like sweet, sour, bitter, and I can't remember the other one. It might be salty. And I'm not sure why, you know, there's a difference between sour and bitter. You know, what that is, I'm not sure, but you might think those are the same, but they're not. I mean, I used to love the candy Sour Patch Kids, and uh, or hell, I'd love them today if I had a bunch. Um, they're not Bitter Patch Kids; they're Sour Patch Kids. There is some sort of difference. All right, hell, I got to random off into another story. Um, so there was a recently a paper published or whatever where someone they gave um, pregnant mothers carrots, and then they gave pregnant mothers kale. And then they took a picture of the ultrasound or something of the baby's faces. The fetus. The fetus's faces. They're not a baby because if you kill them, it's okay. But they literally have these like, you know, it's like black and white ultrasound pictures of babies in the womb after the mom eats carrots and the baby is like smiling. I'm just going to call it a baby, even though it's a fetus. And then they have pictures of the baby's face when the mom eats kale which I think has bitter in it. 
and the baby's face is like screwed up, you know, not screwed up, but not, not screwed up as in messed up, but it's scrunched up in like a look of distaste. I mean, just obvious. So, I mean, just, you know, sometimes it's hard to read someone's face, what they're feeling, but this is like happy baby, unhappy baby, carrots, kale. And I believe they were saying this was, uh, at the beginning of the third trimester. So, you know, right at the end of the second, right at the beginning of the first, how many months, you know, so right at six months on your nine month, uh, journey, which kind of makes you wonder, you know, should you stick a pair of tongs in there and rip that baby apart limb by limb until you can fit them all out? Uh, well, you know, you dear listener can decide your own opinions on abortion, but you know, maybe before you rip them apart, Maybe you should have the mom eat a bunch of carrots and, you know, to make their life a little better before they get ripped apart. All right, hell, now I'm talking about abortion. Uh, I, was, I was talking to my woke buddy and arguing with him, and it's, so it's 1%. 1% of babies are aborted in the third trimester. So very, very small, you know, 99% are not. And then I was looking up, so, you know, why, why, why are you having an abortion in the third trimester? And the, the answer is there's two reasons. So half of all third trimester abortions are because there's a medical complication, like something where, you know, the baby is obviously going to die as soon as it's out of the womb, or the mom is going to die, or something where it's completely and utterly justified, in my opinion. Basically, death for the baby, or the mother, or both. And the other half, so this is all 1%, right? Of this 1% of, of, 1% of all abortions that are in the third trimester... The other half of those abortions is because the woman didn't get one earlier. Like, you know, maybe the woman was like, she thought about it, she couldn't decide, time kept going on and on, and boom, and oh shit, now I'm in the third trimester. Well, I just, I finally decided, abort that fucker. Alright, I'm going off the rails here. I wish I had not dropped that F-bomb, that was inappropriate, but I can't go back and edit stuff, so you're stuck with it, and I'm stuck with it. But so... White people basically had these four flavors, but they were missing one. There was another flavor out there waiting for you, and it was called umami. And so, like, MSG tastes umami. It's kind of, it's almost like concentrated umami. If you ever had MSG? Like, here, you know, here's the way to, here's the, you know, like, I'm not sure what umami is. If you ever made ramen, the packet, the packet of seasoning that you put into your ramen... Like, that is just concentrated umami. It's like, you know, made in a factor, factory, bunch of chemicals, blah, blah, and now you got a packet that is just umami. So that's what umami tastes like if you ever had ramen. Like, I'm a weirdo. Like, when I would make ramen, as a kid, I made tons of ramen. And I'd pour the packet into the water noodle mix, and then I would stick my tongue into the packet to get the rest of it out there, because I love umami. The flavor, umami. And what umami does, like, you know, umami hits your tongue, and then it hits your brain. And what it is, is it's shorthand for protein. So, like, you know, vegetables, virtually all vegetables, are just made out of carbohydrates and water. And they have no protein. And then virtually all meats are protein and water and have no carbohydrates. And so that's what umami is. It's telling you that you're eating protein, and 
you know, throughout history, like, you know, for instance, salt. Like, you need salt to live. Human beings need a certain amount of salt to live. You know, maybe we eat too much of it now. But anyways, you, there's a minimum amount, and you will die if you do not get that minimum amount. And similarly, uh, humans need a certain amount of protein. So, umami is a flavor telling you that you're eating protein. And you usually are. I mean, you know, usually the stuff that you eat, I don't know, makes me think of, like, sushi. If you eat some sushi, there's a lot of umami flavors in sushi. And protein. Or you can trick the taste buds in the brain by using uh, MSG and probably other chemicals too. So Slate Money at the end, they have something called a numbers round where they tell you a number and then a short story and I really should start stealing what they say every week. But so one of the women, her number is $450, which is how much a Yeti cooler costs. Like this is a cooler that holds beer and ice, you know, it's very fancy. you probably heard of them. But in any case, some ship around Alaska capsized and over 100 Yeti coolers got put into the ocean. And then people were going on the beach picking up free $450 Yeti coolers. And then the next lady, her number is that the average wed- wedding today costs $28,000. And it makes me think, the other day I did a podcast about, you know, why, why aren't the gangbangers and they're not graduating from high school girlfriends getting married well they definitely don't have twenty eight thousand dollars but she's saying that wedding whatever companies companies that put on weddings for you now have payment plans so i don't know it's like a mortgage you can get married and you have like your wedding mortgage and obviously hopefully you and your husband or wife stay married longer than that thing lasts and then the third number is a dollar nine and that's how much an english pound costs that's an exchange rate. And I went to London maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And I remember, like, you go to a, I don't know, every day I had a plan, and I would go to, a, I'd eat fish and chips for lunch every single day because I was in Britain. And fish and chips, it was always about, like, seven to maybe eight and a half pounds. You know, like, so, you know, it's about, it's about eight bucks, let's just say. Except it wasn't bucks, it was pounds. And when I went there, it cost two dollars to a pound. So every number I saw in Britain, it looked like the exact same number you would see in America. Like in America, when something cost $8, in Britain it cost 8 pounds, but it cost you 2 bucks for each of those pounds. But it sounds like right now is a good time to go visit Britain. A great time. And I have some friends, I think they're in Holland? I don't know. I think it's a good time to visit all of Europe right now. Go do it. If you've been thinking about visiting Europe, dear listener, hit it up. Go to one of those places where marijuana and prostitution are legal, even. Twitter handle, at Anti-Woke Podcast, and thanks for listening.